meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. everyone, welcome to episode 16, How to Have More Patience. So I lured you in with the title of How to Have More Patience, and I know that everybody wants me to tell them how to change their kids so they can have more patience, and I'm just here to tell you that that is never going to happen, that magically your four-year-old is going to wake up one day and be like, you know what, I really think we should work on our relationship. I think I should work on my calm down strategies. What do you think, mom? I think we should work on our connection and have a better relationship. They don't know any different. But before I start that, um, Mel Mercedes wrote the nicest comment on the podcast on iTunes. She says, wow, I have been listening to all your episodes and this one got to me, got to me, stop being busy. That was the one about addicted to busy with the hummingbirds. I am always on the go. So this episode reminded me it's okay to slow down and have a relationship with yourself in order to be the best version of me to my kids. Thanks so much, Kel. You're amazing. She called me Kel. That is so sweet. Kel and Mel. That's so cute. I feel like that's when things started to change for all of us because the energy in our home just slowed down. And even if everything was going off all at once, that's why I love meditation because meditation I thought was like for Zen in that moment, but it's really trains your brain how to slow down during the crazy hysteria moments when all bells and whistles are going off at once. Your brain says, remember that meditation we did at 5 a.m. this morning? Let's go back to that. So the meditation is so important, and I always thought it was for that moment, but it's really carries on throughout the day because then you can use it almost like you snap your fingers. You're like, I dream of genie, and you can snap your fingers, and you can go into that Zen place, even though everything's going off at once, and then you're not coming from that highly reactive place. Because when we look at anger, have you ever seen that anger iceberg? I'm going to post it in the show notes. There's an anger iceberg, and whenever you see someone angry, like a child angry, or if you're really angry, it really has nothing to do with what's going on in front of you. You're like, what? There's a lot of stuff going on underneath that brings that out. And so our children and our spouse and the people that we're closest to is going to quote unquote trigger that anger. Now, whether we give into that trigger or not is up to us. So people ask me all the time, how long does it take? How long does it take? How long does it take till you saw change? How I'm like, it's as long as soon as you want it to be, as soon as you change yourself, because we're only focused on our side of the street. And then the kids and the puppies and the spouse change organically. But it's super empowering to know that nothing outside of us has to change, just our reaction to it. So the number one way to get more patience, and I don't want you to look at your children or spouse, because they are just literally here to wake you up to where you need to grow. It's really good news. Not coming from a place of beating yourself up but from a place of empowerment, like, whoo, this is all within my control. Instead of trying to control the two-year-old and the 12-year-old and the four-year-old and the 14-year-old, I don't have to control any of them. I just have to control my side of the street. Oh, that's when you get results fast because you're not using your children or spouse or puppy as a barometer for how you're doing. How crazy is that? 
We're going to someplace else external from us to see how we're doing. And I think we're trained as kids to look external for our validation. Think about how we're raised. We look at our grades. We look at our trophies. We look at our parents' opinions. We look at, because children have no sense of self-worth, so they're always looking external, just like ours are. And so we look at our coach, we look at our teachers, we look at our parents, we look at our peer group, we look at our grades, we look at our where we fit in, do we not fit in, are we an outcast? Everything is taught to a child to look external for their value and worth. And I am begging parents to teach their kids to look for their value from the inside out instead of the outside in, which Kyle Cease talks about. But the only way our kids can do this is if we have this ability to have it within ourselves first. And so detaching is the number one way to have more patience in your home. Because if you are waiting for your kids to change magically, like they're going to have lucky charms and then magically be delicious the next day and follow the rules and love their chores and not have outbursts and not yell and scream and not hit, you are literally at the airport waiting for a bus to pick you up. Or you're at the bus station waiting for an airplane to pick you up. It is never, ever going to happen because they have no idea how to all of a sudden change. What they're doing is they're looking at us as their models and they're seeing what does she model and embody? What does he model and embody? And then that's what I'm going to model and embody. They don't know any different. So if they're yelling and screaming, then they're just going to yell and scream because that's all they know. And so detaching is the number one way to have more patience because you will see these children as not belonging to you and you'll get your ego out of the way your amygdala, which is the lower part of the brain, the the monkey mind, you'll get all of that out of the way because you won't make their behavior mean something about you. So think about if you've ever been like a coach of a team, that's detachment. If you've ever been a teacher in a classroom, that's detachment. You love those children, but their behavior doesn't mean anything about them. You see their that child is having a hard time versus giving you a hard time. So it was very easy for me to be detached in the schools because they didn't come from my uterus. I didn't feel solely responsible for their outcome. My ego wasn't involved as a teacher. My ego wasn't involved as a a coach. My ego wasn't involved as a counselor. Think about if you're ever babysitting a neighbor's kids, that's detachment. If you ever hear a baby crying on the plane and you say, oh, that poor baby, that's detachment versus, oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me. I can't believe my baby's crying. Like all that chatter doesn't go on. That's detachment. Think about if you've ever babysit your niece or nephew, that's detachment. Think about if Lily or Grady came over to your house and they had a huge meltdown or they were arguing or they hit or they spit or they had a meltdown, whatever it is, what would your energy be towards Lily and Grady? That's detachment. Look at them while they sleep. That's detachment. Because while they sleep, you see them as a beautiful soul. You don't see them as a reflection of you. You see them as a reflection of God or a higher power or the universe or the stork. Whatever you believe in those moments of when they're sleeping, you see them as a soul having human experience, what Gabby Bernstein always talks about, versus a child of yours. So I always hear the song, No Longer Slaves. I literally have that song on loop because It always talks about being a child of God. And so I see myself as a child of God. And so guess who I see Lillian Grady as, as a child of God. I see myself as a one in 400 trillion chance of being on this planet. And so that's what I see Lillian Grady as. I see myself as a one in 400 trillion chance, a child of God. So that's what I see David as. That's what I see the people at Walmart as. 
because we're all the same and we're all that baby in the hospital. And so when we can see our children as children from God, souls having human experience, children from the universe, children from the stork, as not belonging to us, they didn't come from us, they came through us, and they're here to teach us where we need to grow, then you have this energy, this meditative Zen energy during the messiest of messy moments. And you'll be curious about your triggers because I always get asked, what do you do when your kid does blank? What do you do when your kid does blank? And I always respond with, you get super curious. You get super curious of why that triggered something within you and what you made that mean about you. So I'm going to play a little clip from this song. It's called No Longer Slaves. And it really reminds me over and over and over that they do not belong to me. How good is that song? Are you kidding me? I literally listen to that over and over and over. And I remind myself of who I am first. So then I can project that onto my kids that they don't belong to me, that their grades don't matter. It doesn't, their grades don't define their worthiness. How they do in sports doesn't define their worthiness. What teams they make or don't make doesn't define their worthiness and their value. And I tell them that every single stinking honking day, when the, the alarm goes off at 4.48, when it's Lily's birthday, April 4th, 2008, we all say, happy birthday, Lily. We're so glad God made you. So she doesn't see us as happy birthday, Lily. You are belong to us. She doesn't belong to us. And so when you see the child not belonging to you, it is very difficult to yell. It is very difficult to snap. It is very difficult to name call, just like I wouldn't in the classroom just like I went as a counselor, just like I went on the, if I was coaching a soccer team. I would see the child as having a hard time versus giving me a hard time. And I don't have the right to yell at another person's child. When I was a teacher, I wasn't as spiritually developed as I am now. So I saw them as belonging to Bobby and Susie. So I couldn't yell at them. I couldn't call them names. It never even dawned on me. And so when I talk to people about spanking, if I spanked as a teacher, I would lose my job. That'd be called abuse, whether it's called spanking, swatting, hitting. Same goes for me as a parent. If I'm going to name call, swat, yell, I don't have the right to do that because they don't belong to me. So when I see them as not belonging to me, my ego is gone. Lily said the other day, she's like, mom, sometimes you teach all this conscious parenting stuff, but sometimes I don't think you're very conscious. And I'm like, I know, Lily, I'm going for B minus. She's like, you're so hard to argue with. I'm like, really? Because I feel like I'm, I don't really have a lot of, I, I don't get angry a lot because I'm not, I don't really have an ego. So like things you say or don't say, or Grady says, or David says, I don't really have an ego. I don't, I don't know why it would be hard to argue with. She goes, that's exactly it. You always fall on the sword. You always agree with everything. I'm like, well, if you love me and Grady loves me and daddy loves me, I know anything that you're saying. There's a grain of truth to it. You might say it in a moment of anger and not mean all of it, but there's part of it that you mean. And that's okay. That's feedback for me because I don't have an ego. I don't have fear of messing this up because I know that I can't mess it up because all of this as is, is happening for us and it's never happening to us. So I never want them to look externally for their value and their worthiness. I don't want them to look towards me. I want them to look internally. 
So I don't always say, I'm so proud of you. You're such a good kid. You're such a, I say, you must be so proud of yourself because our job is to get that internal dialogue within them strengthening. Because if I'm always saying, I'm proud of you, you're doing such a good job, straight A's, oh my goodness, you did that, you did this, you did that. Then they're always looking externally, almost like a yipping dog, like, am I good enough? Am I valuable? Am I worthy? Of course, that's normal for children to do. But over the long term, what do I want to foster within them so that internal voice is getting stronger and stronger within them? So when we talk about lying, if they lie, I always talk about like, I've lied before to my mom and the guilt I talked about with Grady when I brushed, I said I brushed my teeth and I didn't. I said the guilt was so strong and I didn't want that feeling anymore. So if you lie to me or you say that you're going to have one piece of candy and you have two pieces and I never find out, that's on you, boo. You have to live with that guilt. I know how that feels. So I kind of normalize lying for them. And so that internal voice, it's not I have to blame and shame and put them in timeout and spank and yell and scream and shame them into submission. I want to strengthen that inner voice so then when they get older, they do the right thing because it feels good to do the right thing, not because mom's watching, not because dad's watching, not because the teacher's watching. Conversely, not do the wrong thing because of the guilt that it might cause or the, the feelings of that internal voice that they want to make themselves proud versus making mom and dad proud. So as we're growing up, we realize what's safe in the world and what's not safe in the world. So in the parenting boot camps and in my surveys and in my talking with everybody online, I always ask, describe your childhood in three to five adjectives. And the majority of the adjectives are what you're going to recreate in your adult life if you're not conscious about it, okay? So I always talk about passing on a recipe. My mom made the best tater tot hot dish. It was tater tots, rice, cream of mushroom soup, and corn. So she's passed on this recipe that I love. I cook it for my family. They love it, okay? That's something you want to pass on. But if someone were to take that recipe and all of a sudden add green beans to it, I'd be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I am so in love with the way that it's made. So having it done a different way is not good for my brain. So the brain doesn't like that. It likes the pattern. Even if the pattern is something painful, it still likes to recreate that. So I hear a lot of, it was rebellious. It was angry. It was hurtful. Talking about their childhoods. It was tense. It was solitary, quiet, angry, judgmental, jealous, sheltered, rebellious, dependent, loved, but strict, abusive, chaotic, judgmental, unprotected, dysfunctional, strings attached, abusive, loving for my dad, inconsistent, lonely, bitter, but loved. Do you see how the brain, as it's forming and developing, growing up with that type of energy, it's only normal for it to try to recreate it, just like it's recreating the recipe. But the coolest thing about it being an emotional adult is we can be aware and conscious of what we came from, and we have two chances to have a parent-child relationship. If it wasn't what you wanted from zero to 18, it is not time to play the victim and my mom should have done this and my dad should have done this. Like I talked about blame and shame, blame them for all the good that you learned from it, the non-examples. Blame them for being born that you're the one in 400 trillion. And then you get to create the recipe, your tater tot hot dish, however you want to. And that is such great news because that second chance at a parent-child relationship is happening right now. So you can create the chaos because the brain will like creating the chaos because the brain doesn't know any different. When I was becoming conscious, Lily and I, we were 
always arguing. So when I became conscious, she actually got more argumentative because she was saying, mom, I get connection through arguing with you. On a certain level, this feels good to argue with you. So she even got more argumentative. And I kept, I kept coming back with holding the space, holding the space over and over and over. So she learned new ways to connect with me. Cause she's like, that yelling didn't feel good for me, but I didn't know any different. And now you're trying to change the you're trying to change the way we banter, and that feels very uncomfortable for me. You're changing the recipe on me. And it was a transition. And now there is no going back because it feels so good to connect on this way. So I've just taught her a new way. And then now she connects with Grady on that way, but not all the time. I think some people, when I posted that on Facebook, when I said Lily said that about I'm unconscious and she um when she said, you teach this conscious parenting stuff, but sometimes I don't think you're always conscious. And I'm like, yes, that's true. I think, and then everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Do not put me on a pedestal. Don't put my kids on a pedestal. I have begged you and begged you. I put imperfect in the intro and in the outro on purpose. I say B minus every single podcast because I don't want you to think that like I am pooping out unicorns. And Lily has rainbows over her head all the time. I want the messy moments to happen so I can be triggered and I can see where I have blind spots, where I can see, because once the only way to disempower a trigger is to feel the trigger, let it pass through you and not give into it. Silly things trigger me. I told you about Lily's acne when she was in fourth grade. I was like, we got to bring in the dermatologist because I had really bad acne as a kid. So I go to David. I'm like, we got to go to the, we go to the dermatologist. We got, I was like freaking out. He's like, uh, okay, why? I'm like, she has a blemish. But it wasn't triggering for him because he never had problems with acne. I did. So like the little girl in me was being so triggered. I'm like, hey, little girl. Hey, little Kelly. It's going to be okay. So I talked to little Kelly because you have to remember you are still that little girl. That little girl still lives inside of you. And now you're of your child that's showing you uh, how to find that little girl within you or that little boy within you. And I told you about how when Lily has a friend over, I'm like, include Grady, include Grady, include Grady, include Grady. Because I was the youngest of three. I always wanted to be included. And when I wasn't, so hurt. When Grady has a friend over, I'm like, let them play alone. Let them play alone. Because I was the youngest, so I had a friend over. I'm like, can you just leave us alone so we can play soccer in the hall with Debbie Brand? Like, see how that happens? I was talking to Anna, and she said when she grew up, when we when I went to the shoe store growing up, we would buy shoes, and like literally, we would put them on in the, in the aisle, and then we would go to the scanner. And I remember putting my feet up on the scanner and him scanning my feet. And I would dance out of that shoe store. It was like the coolest thing ever. And he would clip off the price tag. And I was like bebopping dancing out of that out of that shoe store. My friend Anna, when she would go as a kid to get shoes at the shoe store, her mom forbade them to wear them until they got home. So we were talking about that. I'm like, why? She's like, you let them wear them out of the store? And I'm like, well, how else would they celebrate and dance on the way home. She's like, my mom never let us. I'm like, really? I can't imagine. But we don't even think to question it because it's so buried and embedded in our brain that we just think it's like the garbage disposal, like everyone uses the garbage disposal. When I was growing up, my mom had scissors downstairs. We had a two-story house in Boca and the scissors were always downstairs and my room was upstairs. And so I'd bring the scissors up to do my craftmatics, my, to do my crafts, to do whatever. And she would open the drawer and there'd be no scissors there. And I remember hearing this audible gasp. My mom was not a yeller. She was not a screamer. She was not a name caller. She was not a shamer. She was not a spanker. She was like, and is such a beautiful spirit. And so she'd be huffy. And so she, oh, who has my scissors? How many times do I have to tell you when you use the scissors, put them back? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, don't say the D word. Disappointed. So I'd run back down. I'm like, here's your scissors. 
and then it would happen again and again. I remember just hearing the huff. I remember hearing the drawer open and then the huff would come next. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm coming, mom. I'm coming with scissors. So I was working with Julie Frizzy. Love you, Julie, at Naples Park. And she comes into my office and she's like, do you have a pair of scissors? I'm like, sure. They're on my desk. And I was like doing something and she grabs them. She's like, oh my goodness. I'm like, what? She goes, you have 14 pairs of scissors. You have kids' scissors. You have scissors here. You have scissors over your counter. You have scissors in your drawer. And I'm like, look at this drawer. I had more scissors. Because my brain, I didn't even know that I was doing it. My brain was so afraid of not having scissors when I needed them. So I had them in every single drawer, every single crevice, every single counter, every single cabinet. She's like, what is going on? I'm like, oh my goodness. I traced it back to when my mom would get huffy opening the door. This is how embedded it is in our brain. But we don't have to run from it and say we're a victim of our childhood. That's just a funny little story, but these happen all the time. So just know that whatever annoys you the most about your child, whatever you wish that they would change is something within you that you need to change. And this is really good news. Like if you have a child who yells and screams, then it's time that we look at our yelling and screaming to see if they're absorbing that from us. If you have a child who doesn't have a lot of self-control, how much self-control are we showing to that child? If you have a child who shows diagnosis of ADD or symptoms of ADD, or has been diagnosed by a doctor, how are we showing up to have ADD in our life? ADD is not like a death sentence for a child's childhood. It doesn't make it okay to yell and scream. It's just the opposite. A child with ADD needs slow. It needs a less frenetic mother like I was and still am having always pulling myself back. This is a work in progress. This isn't like you you get to a destination, it's a finish line. It's a daily work in progress. The only difference is I'm not afraid of the work anymore. I'm like, come on, kids, trigger me. Show me what's still there. Show me what's laying laying dormant. Because if it brings something up within you, then that's your that's your GPS to where you need to work. Isn't that such good news? Because then the kids don't have to change because you're just always coming from, you're like the flight attendant in their house. I'm in Texas right now and I'm about to see Brooke Castillo. I cannot believe I'm here. And while we were here, I was thinking about the flight attendant and I heard this analogy from someone else. I wish I could credit them. It was so genius. When you're on a plane and there's any type of turbulence or any type of bing dings or whistles, the first place all the passengers look is at the flight attendant. Is everything okay is what we're saying when we look at the flight attendant. And then we we gauge their face or their energy based on is everything okay. Our kids do the exact same thing in our house. Is everything okay? Am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I value? Am I worthy? They look straight to the flight attendant and that's mom and dad. If mom and dad are frenetic and they're yelling and screaming, name calling, the behavior is only gonna get worse. It's gas on a fire. If you think ADD is a problem, you're gonna get more labels, more diagnosis down the line because the symptoms and the ADD or the diagnosis is just a symptom to what's really going on. So people always tell me, what do you do when? What do you do when? What do you do when? That's like me saying, Grady's sick all the, let's say Grady was sick all the time, knock on wood, he's not. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give him this vitamin. Kind of like we give the medicine for the ADD or the ODD or the PDD or whatever it is. We think the pill is going to fix it magically. But if we're not looking at the whole ecosystem of the house in this huge emotional laboratory within the house, then it's literally like giving Grady Motrin and ibuprofen every four to six hours and just expecting him to feel better 
all the time. I'm not looking at his sleep. I'm not looking at the vitamins he's taking. I'm not looking if he's washing his hands. I'm not looking at the food he's eating. I'm not looking at his stress levels. I'm not looking at if he's overscheduled. I'm not looking at any of that. I'm not looking at the totality of the child. I'm just looking at ibuprofen, Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tylenol. And then we wake up expecting something different. That's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And then I get emails that they say, I yell and I yell and I scream and I name call and I did it because of blank. I spanked because of blank. I yelled because of blank. I called them a brat because of blank. And they're literally tattling to me or their husband or their friends or in in inside their head, they're tattling to themselves and justifying the yelling. And it's essentially like saying, she started it. He started it. They are four years old, 14 years old. We are 34, 44, 24. We have to be the adult in the relationship because lessons are always caught and they're never taught. Always and forever, amen, on a stack of Bibles. So it's a, I want to so much I want to teach you, but I'm really trying to have you unlearn a lot of the patterns that you have grown up with. I'm trying to change your recipe. I'm trying to have you create your own recipe. So it's not so much everything you have to learn. It's everything you have to unlearn and untangle all those wires. And it's such fun work to do because it's so empowering. I remember realizing like, wait, I'm the problem. Then that means I'm the solution. I don't have to beg and plead Grady and Lily to change or David to change or Maggie to change. I just have to focus on my side of the street, focus on the tree that the apples are being absorbed from. It's game on like Donkey Kong. That's when life became super fun. And so when people tell me, Kelly, you've changed my life. Your podcast changed my life. Your parenting bootcamp changed my life. Working with you one-on-one -on -one has changed my life. I literally say over and over, all I did was hand you the match to your life and you lit it up. All I'm doing with this podcast and the parenting bootcamp and when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, all I'm doing is igniting something within you that is already laying dormant. I'm not teaching you how to add, subtract, multiply, and teaching you new skills. I'm teaching you what you already knew. You just forgot it because as we grow and we have that dysfunction growing up, or we have the neglect, or we have the instability, or we have the depressed parents, whatever it is, what the child does to protect themselves from that environment and energy is it creates masks. It creates shields. It creates a way to cover up from the vulnerability that they once felt so naturally, and now they can't feel naturally anymore. And so it's covered up with a lot of anger or it's shielded with a lot of extra weight or it's shielded with depression or it's shielded with some type of way, workaholism or it's shielded with something else that keeps you away from that vulnerability and your child is begging for vulnerability in the meantime. So what I'm trying to teach everybody is to take off those masks, drop the walls, drop the shields. We signed up to be married to our spouse for a certain reason. So let's show up like when we're dating. That's why I always say hashtag date your mate. Like let's have fun in our marriages. Let's have fun with these awesome kids. You see pictures of Lily and Grady? That's detachment. I see pictures of your kids? That's detachment. I love your kids as much as I love my own kids. The only difference is I just know my kids a little bit better. But I'm so detached from their journey, meaning something about you. So if they become homeless on the side of the road, that's what their soul is supposed to happen because I'm accepting the as is. If they become the president of Harvard or whatever happiness or success looks like in their world, that's on them. I'm going to be so happy for them. Just like if your child goes down the wrong road, I'm going to be so sad and have empathy and compassion and pray for them 
that's the same energy that you're going to have with your own children when you learn detachment. If your kid becomes, I don't know, whatever it is, success, like I don't even know what happiness looks like because I don't want my kids to be happy all the time. So let's say they get the scholarship, they get the, they get into Harvard and they get all the things. I'm going to be so happy for them because that's detachment. So I'm really trying to teach you to unlearn things instead of learning things. And just know that when you get that aha, that spark, that lightning bolt, all that is, is just a shield. You're shedding the ego. You're shedding the fear. You don't have a weight issue. You have a amygdala issue. You don't have a procrastination issue. You have a amygdala issue, meaning the brain just likes that old patterning and it doesn't want to take away the shield because it feels so scary. And I'm telling you, once you take off the shield, you drop the walls and you meet your children with vulnerability and you meet your spouse with vulnerability and you meet yourself with vulnerability, then life becomes super fun because you're not running like Forrest Gump away from negative emotions because you don't even see them as negative anymore. You see them as the as is and you want to have as many emotions like that as possible. So then when the children, when your children grow up, they know what to do with those emotions versus like, stop it, stop it, stop it. So I hope this helped you. Please, please, please find me on Instagram. Tell me you have amygdala issue and where your amygdala issue is. I'm always working on my amygdala. And all the amygdala is, is the lower part of the brain, the primitive part of the brain, the ego, the monkey mind. It's called a lot of different things. And I like to call it amygdala because it sounds super fancy and it's a kind of a fun word to say. And so all of these labels and diagnoses you're putting on yourself, really, it's just an amygdala issue. All the labels and diagnoses you're putting on your children, it's just the way in which you see yourself. If you want to know how you talk to yourself and you want to get a good view of that, listen how you talk to your kids because that is a reflection of how your inner dialogue looks. And when you clean up your inner dialogue and you see yourself as a child of God and you're listening to no longer slaves over and over and you're detached from your own journey and you're not looking external, then you can project that on your kids. I'll see you on the gram. I love you guys and I hope this helped. See you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.